0: Welcome to the Brain Coffee Podcast, where doctors Eric Luthart and Albert Kim unlock life's little mysteries about health, wellness, entertainment, technology, and how the brain makes sense of it all. Sit back, relax, and open up your mind. What's
1: hey, going on? Not too much. Uh, have you been watching the news lately? You know, I try to not watch the news like when I'm exercising because like it just makes me so angry. It's really amazing. I mean... I feel like
0: I've become addicted to the news, where yeah. I, I'm constantly checking the news. I, literally, I checked the news for, like at say at like 11:30, yeah, and then I check it again at noon. I'm like, what could have possibly happened in the last 30 minutes? And it really is increasingly distracting. The emotional temperature of the news and kind of there. Again, I don't want to bring politics, you know, kind of into you know this conversation, but it rhymes a lot with dump,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> he, he no, and, and I, no, but it's hard to avoid it, like. Yesterday I was driving to the clinic, and uh, he's making his announcement about removing the U.S. from the Iran deal. It, right, I right. mean, he's, and it's really emotional, right? The way he it's written, right. and I mean, it's hard to to yeah, it, to stare it, at something else or hear something else.
0: What I think is interesting is this this constant news or this. And really, to expand it wider, this, the fact that we're kind of constantly checking stuff. Oh yeah. It really, it, again, the neuroscience of the news aside, you know, the, the, that we're constantly checking things really kind of you know eliminates. I think what I used to have, which was kind of this, these space out moments. Right, right. It's and, quiet times. Yeah, these these little random moments where I just kind of happen to be bored, or and and increasingly, it's there's a science to that. Those moments of boredom and of quietude are really important for your creativity and, and learning.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. There's actually there's this related uh, essay I remember reading about a certain amount of procrastination is good because uh-huh. then it allows you to have that space before you come up with your plan or your idea, right. you know. So, I mean, you can't be procrastinating so much that so you don't just do it at all, but right. just a little and then maybe you have a little more creativity in your um, well, I think you know, there's a lot idea.
0: of process that goes on outside of our our, our awareness, mm-hmm. right? You know, so for instance, like that's why sometimes really the best thing to do is sleep on. Oh, it. Oh yeah, right, right, right. right where we're basically you, you've got to really just give your brain
1: some time to internally process the information, and then the good stuff pops out later. Yeah, no, that's right, that's right. I mean. Sometimes I get that. I mean, we so we're so busy. I mean, right. when do we really get that? I mean, maybe maybe <laughs> right. when I'm driving.
0: You know, I, I, my it, you most know? creative moments are in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Right. You exactly. know, we're like either we're basically I, I, because there's water rushing all over me. I'm not connected to electronics, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, and I can actually I, I actually take very long showers because I think that that's the moment you get to you know collect your
1: thoughts. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. I wonder. it's you know, it's interesting that you say it's like when water is um, also rushing over you. I wonder if other stimuli could help. you know, and augment the creativity in those moments. I wonder if it's better if the lights are on, the lights are off, you have some stimulation on your hands or not or, you know?
0: There's some really interesting uh, work being done as it relates to how light affects your brain. Uh A good friend and colleague up at uh, MIT, he showed for instance that if you have flashing lights at 30 hertz, yeah that'll activate macrophages in your brain that helps uh, reduce the beta amyloid related to Alzheimer's. So they're using it to actually treat Alzheimer's.
1: So th- her, so and neurodegeneration. Like like so like 30 hertz, that's like in a second.
0: Yes. So 30 pulses in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty rapid. Wow. Now, there's another study, I think this is out of Michigan, where basically uh, dim light is associated with atrophy of the hippocampus. They kept these uh, mice in chronically dim light and their hippocampus shrunk. Yeah. So certainly, I think there is a really interesting relation to, to how kind of light you know
1: impacts both our neurodevelopment and our neur- neuronal maintenance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are studies that are quite old and classical now right. about right. Uh, you know these. Actually, they're, they're, they're a bit sad that these experiments where they would, you know, close an eye of an animal, right? Like during a certain time in their youth, right? right. That's right. Uh, when it's really important to get stimuli, visual stimuli, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they wouldn't be able to see sort of out of both eyes forever after that, right. even if they open the eye up, you That's know? That's right.
0: Well, um, another example is that when they, again, getting at like classic things that I don't think people do anymore is uh, they raised kittens in an environment purely vertical lines, <laughs> and then uh, the cat, the adult cats could never see horizontal lines. They would run really? into things with horizontal
1: lines. They couldn't see it, they couldn't perceive it. Like maybe like cliffs or something like that? Yeah, or no, that's exactly that's, right. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, at least in the developmental studies, the main thing mediating all that for the yeah. visual system, like continuing to maintain the connections, was uh, BDNF, right. you know, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That's right, right, right. I mean, some would argue it's like, Like the molecule uh, of the decade, like you know, last decade, for instance. Absolutely, I mean,
0: BDNF is really kind of what you know allows us to preserve and promote our our, our neural organization. Yeah, right, right. um, I mean, it's the same thing that gets produced, you know, when you exercise, and both, I think, motor training and uh, aerobic exercise.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and and also uh, antidepressants. Some people think that's a motive uh, mechanism of action.
0: In in large part, is it is a lack of plasticity, right? And you know, BDNF is a kind of thing that's helping neuronal plasticity and
1: neuronal development. Right, right. So how do we, so how do we jack up the BDNF in our normal lives, like every day? That's so a, we exercise, you said. Yeah, right. we should, we should yeah. definitely do that. Right. So
0: I think the other thing is stress. Oh, yeah. That um, how we manage our stress is probably also kind of quite toxic you know, to kind of, you know, our brain, especially our hippocampus, that right, right. elevated cortisol levels is yeah. shown. Is it just will make, neurodegeneration.
1: Our, exactly. It'll shrink our hippocampus, the area that, that uh, uh, consolidates memory. That's right. Yeah. That's
0: right. So, what do you do to maximize your BDNF and lower your cortisol? Right? Um, yeah.
1: So, exercise. Um, what do you think about mindfulness? Mindfulness? I don't know. I don't know what that does to your BDNF, although I'm sure if you think about things that you normally don't think about and you're using your mind in other ways that will increase your BDNF, but does it decrease your cortisol?
0: definitely decreases your
1: cortisol. Huh. There's studies on that. I see, I see. Mindfulness definitely reduces cortisol. I see. Okay, just to get more specific, what do you mean mindfulness? Like following your breathing, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, so
0: th- that is a good point So There's a number of different techniques for mindfulness. One is following your breathing. Essentially, it's a scientific term for meditation. Yeah, right, right? right. I think a lot of it relates to kind of thinking, you know, kind of concretely about your body, like feeling every, you know, kind of part of your body. I see, uh, right, like present, the right now you mean. To being
1: very present, yeah. You know? I see, I see. Well, that's interesting. Well, what do you do when you encounter the stress? I mean, do you mean we should be mindful during the time of stress? or do oh, we, no, I mean, do you people I mean? say that
0: you should take 10 to 20 minutes and do I see. Do I see. To build a reserve. Yeah, to build a reserve. That's right. And that, that seems to last through that. But then, how much stress should we actually be taking or accepting our lives? that is a good question. Yeah. And Again, we both, you know, trained as nurses, and you know, the training is quite stressful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and so, you know, it's year. And I always say, like, it's night, different now. And, right, right,
1: right. Night, it, to some, to some extent.
0: Yeah, it's different yeah. now. Yeah. But but the point is is that even though they have a, you know kind of current residents have a more limited number of hours that they train, those hours that they do train are still stressful. It's intense. Yeah. It's intense. This balance of what is the good stress and what is the bad stress? Because I even though kind of that stress during my residency was unpleasant, yeah, it was hard, I still see it as kind of a crucible that gave me capabilities and, and, and uh, strengths that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So yeah. for instance, right. just like is if you're running a marathon that you I guess there's this graduated stress that you gotta put your body under to get to
1: that level of performance. Exactly, and then also, I mean, I'm not a marathon runner, but at least in residency, I can make the parallel. Like, Once you get through a difficult task, like a long surgery, you feel like you can do it again. Right. You know, That's Like, right. if, it, if I encounter this again, oh, I can take care of that.
0: You know, I guess some of it gets down to stress that you can recover from.
1: Right. Well, and stress that gives you confidence in some way, yes. right? Yes. So, it ha- I guess
0: it has to be you know, combined with some almost biochemical pleasure to yeah, right. right so that there's a plasticity and a learning that happens. Yeah, so for if, t- if it's a stress without an endpoint, meaning like you know, you know, you're in a in a gulag for you know you know ten years, you know, that's a continuous stress with no positive end. Point. Right, right. Whereas if you have a stress that has a limited duration of time that allows you to kind of then be relieved of that stress and and have some pleasure with it. Right. You know, that that allows you to kind of incorporate some learning. Maybe it's BDNF, you know. um, Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. And that then is a positive stress and and leads to uh, strengthening versus uh, weakening. Because there's other examples where people are in continuously stressful jobs without, you know, kind of strengthening. I don't even know know a good example, but like... uh, Sisyphus.
1: Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, well, you know,
0: so just to be clear, not everybody may know who Sisyphus yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, like, okay. So, okay. I, but I think that's, that is the ultimate example. Right. Like, Sisyphus, you know, he was the Greek guy who was doomed for eternity to push a rock up yes. to the top of the hill right, and the rock right. would go down and he had to push it from the other side. Every day again, again. And then at the end of the day, wasn't his liver eaten by vultures?
1: That could have been Prometheus. That was Prometheus. Yeah. yeah. Right, right,
0: right. But anyway, so Sisyphus was pushing a rock right. up and down. Right. Every day he has to do yeah. the same thing. But without end. Right. So, right.
1: Um, so that's not good stress, probably.
0: Yeah. So basically what is, you know, kind of the difference between Sisyphus stress and some non-Sisyphus stress? Yeah. That
1: is productive. Like, I mean, the other way it's productive is I remember quite clearly uh, doing something wrong in residency. Right. Getting an earful and then <laughs> putting it I like never me. forgot. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Getting a little earful and then never forgetting that again, right. you know? I mean, it's not only neurosurgery, right? It's Right,
0: yeah, that's that's your parents, you know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> right. know, when you do something really dumb when you're 16.
1: Exactly. And, and there
0: is a, definitely a neuroscience there, right? Yeah. Meaning like, the seat of your emotions, you right. know, your your amygdala Yeah, you know, uh, is really just really right next to the head of your hippocampus. That's kind of the, the organ involved with consolidating memory. And certainly when that amygdala becomes active, yes. memories at that time are absolutely retained. Again, yeah. that's why for instance, you know, I remember a long time ago you were telling me about like uh, you know, when you fell out of a car. Oh yeah. You know, and you never forgot that moment, right? Yeah, you know. For sure not,
1: yeah. And like Although, or yeah.
0: a car yeah. accident, you never forget the intensity of the details of that or something stressful. Exactly.
1: Although I have to say my dad probably remembers it more intensely. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Because of the same reason. Yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. So, in general, how do you turn kind of daily stresses into something that strengthens versus, you know, kind of reduces you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I really like what you said. You do need a reservoir of some kind, whether it's mm-hmm. mindfulness or exercise, All like you are right. saying. So then whenever you get some stress, you're just more resilient. Yeah. But then when you're actually experiencing itself, how do you know that... Well, it probably also depends how old you are, quite frankly, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if you're a kid, I don't think that same level of stress is good for you. Right. I think it can stunt yeah. your emotional
0: growth. That's right. That's put you right. at
1: risk for like anxiety, depression, right. things like that, right? But, we're- but again, at each stage,
0: it's a graduated thing. Right. Like, uh, so as an example, so, um, you know, at my, my daughter's school, they have challenge day
1: yeah and they
0: basically make them cool. climb this rock you know rock wall up you know kind of 30 <laughs> feet in a harness and the kids are you know initially are kind of terrified but then they do it yeah. and they accomplish and they get a lot of congratulations it kind of gets at this have a stressor but have pleasure at the end of it and getting at this idea of meaning if you can have a stressor and then you can be you know kind of again getting mindful to the meaningfulness of the stressor yes I, I mean, agree with like, that. this is an unpleasant event or i am stressed for some reason but if you can try to draw out some meaning Perhaps that gives you enough of a dopamine bump that basically so it turns into something, reinforcement, yeah. something that makes you more resilient for the next time that happens. And I, that you I maybe will, you remember that. and learn something
1: from. Yeah, right. no, but you have to take something meaningful from it. I agree with that. Yeah.